Hey, this is Erin Lindstrom, and you're listening to Thank You For You. This is a show about celebrating and acknowledging our humanness as well as our beingness, the easy and the hard, the gifts and the (laughs) gifts we don't really like but choose to accept anyway. This is a show about and for people in pursuit of more peace, more joy, more money, more justice, and more of the awe that life has to give us. Thank you for being here, and thank you for you. Hello, hello. Thank you for being here. It's me, Erin Lindstrom. (laughs) And today's episode of the podcast is a solo app, and I am really excited to talk to you or to myself, depending on how this goes, about something that's really important to me, which is connection-based coaching. So this episode is going to be different than my typical thank you for you episodes. And this is probably one of the most important ones I'll ever record, because if there's anything I want people to really get from my work, it's what I'm going to tell you today. I have been thinking about how to share this information. Like, is this a course? Is this a program? Is this, you know, the pricing, the pro I don't, I can't just stop. It's like too important. So I'm just going to share it. Obviously there's so much more I can say about what we're about to go into, but I'm going to give you as much as I can in what I think will be a digestible (laughs) way. (laughs) Okay. So before we get to that, a couple of things, number one, just thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Whether this is your first episode or your I don't know, 34th episode or wherever we are. Thank you. Seriously. It means a lot. I love having these conversations. I think they're super important. And the messages I get make me like, oh, my heart just lights up. So thank you. Thank you for you. Sounds silly, but I really mean it. Let's talk about why this is important before I actually go into like the, the what here. Okay. So coaching many, many of you who are listening are in the coaching industry or in the online space or know about it or know me and are like, I don't know what Erin does, but it's something over there. (laughs) Okay. And this online coaching industry is interesting. There's pros, there's cons, there's highs, there's lows. This is an unregulated industry, which means you can basically say you are whatever you want to be and then sell stuff. And there's not a lot of rules here. It's the wild, wild west. And also there's integrity. There's a lot of people with good intentions. There's a lot of wonderful people who are doing really, really, really good work. And then when we mix healing work with business, it gets weird, man. (laughs) Sometimes it's fine and sometimes it's not. And I think living in a capitalistic patriarchal society, you know, makes things a little complicated, a lot complicated. There's many levels and layers to this. However, At its base, coaching is really important, in my opinion. Coaching is basically how we help. It's a tool to help people change, right? Without being invasive, without telling them what to do. That really helps them, ideally, discover themselves and their own power, learn to discern more, make their own decisions, take action and be held in a container that is supportive and not harmful. Now, harm can happen in all different ways <laughs> and harm. And when I say harm and, uh, you know, trauma comes up in all of this, like these things happen in all different ways, many times unintentionally. And a lot of how things affects us goes back to how we were raised because so much of how we are today is based on that blueprint. Now, doing personal development work changes that. 
that's what you're doing is you're actually changing your core foundation. That work, sometimes it's easy, but sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's not just, it's not a coaching thing, right? Like coaching can be a part of it, but many times there's more of a healing aspect. Sometimes it requires a therapist. Sometimes we're going really deep and moving things. And there's a lot there. Sometimes you're living through a global pandemic and your rights are being taken away and, 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 and there's a lot. Okay. So this work is not necessarily light or easy breezy, but it, to me, it's what can potentially give the feeling of life being easier sometimes, maybe not, but that's kind of, that's kind of where I am with this. And so when I talk about harm, harmful coaching situations, you have to understand that while a coach really is a peer, right there, you're coming in and they're like a professional peer who is supporting you. It's very easy to have a hierarchical relationship instead where it's like, oh, this person knows something, or this person has all the answers or this person I respect. And I want to be like them. So I'm hiring them to help me. And when you're in the relationship of being helped, that's a different dynamic than being supported. Supported is more peer to peer helped is you need me. Right. So when you are going through containers like this or leading your own containers, it is interesting. And I would recommend kind of being curious about what is your history with being helped and supported. Now your first helpers in your life and supporters for that matter are typically your family. Families look different for everyone and there's all different ways this can work, right? But if you think about, I need to pause for one second and tell you that people in my building are moving. And so it is very loud in my hallway today. So we may or may not hear some of that in this episode. Okay. Back to helping. (laughs) When we think about and look at how were we helped as kids or supported as children, how was our beings, right? Mind, body, soul supported. That is going to give you an interesting look at the current foundation about what you learned about support and help and about what you might need going forward. I believe that what we all need is connection-based support. What that means is at the forefront, it's not about helping. It's not about changing anything or giving a different direction. It's actually about connection and acceptance. That's what actually changes things. That's what transforms. That's what gives the, the basic framework for someone to become more of themselves. If you think about a baby, like that is what they need. They need love and acceptance. That's why when they cry, they're picked up and they're held. They get connection and acceptance. If you yell at a baby for crying, it's going to keep crying. Or eventually it will stop crying to get the love and acceptance and connection it's looking for. As a child gets older and we develop, we still want and need that love and acceptance and connection. Now, parenting is an interesting thing to look at. It is cultural. It is experiential. It is, you know, almost politicized. There's a lot happening when when we think about how to parent. And I'm not here how to tell anyone to do anything, by the way. That said, (laughs) as I think about this for myself and with my own children, and I've thought about this a lot because I want to be a parent who is 
connected. And if I'm being totally honest with you, that hasn't been the easiest thing for me. I'm in a place with it right now where I know that I'm intentionally doing the work to be loving and accepting and connected as much as possible. And previously I thought I was doing that, but I didn't even realize how disconnected I was. And when I look back at that foundation now, and I've done that work of kind of unpacking that, I can understand why in different ways. And that's because for me, there, there was a lot of emotional disconnection between me and my parents that causes a child to contort and to learn how to be. And what that looked like for me was being great, (laughs) being the high achiever, right? Being the good one, being the smart one, getting the good grades. And that gave me the acceptance, but the connection part, I don't know that that was always there. I was very afraid with my dad. Most of the time, there was a lot of yelling. There was also a lot of love and like everything was great when we were in family situations with like a more extended family, my mom's family, again, like we had big family things on both sides that were fun and all that jazz. But my mom also started college when I was in kindergarten and she would work overnights as a nurse. And like, that was horrifically painful for me as a child for her to lay down with us and then leave to go to work. And to have that like wound or like opening of like, please, I just like, I just want my mom. I just want to feel loved and connected and safe. And that wasn't there consistently. That said, I understand and accept that both of my parents are doing their best. This is not an attack on them. This is a just reflection from where I am now. And like, why am I this way? Once you start realizing the different things you're doing and the different ways your relationships are going and the different ways you sabotage yourself, whether it's in business or in life, like that curiosity can lead you down a path. And for me, it has been unpacking a lot of this stuff and not only unpacking to understand more and more of myself, but also to rewire myself in a bit, to give myself the things that weren't there to create a new normal, to change the foundation, to then interact differently with everything else in my life. But it starts with me. Surprise. Yay. (laughs) And so many of the things of the way we are now are set up based on what's happened so far. And so this work of personal development and where I think coaching comes into this is this moment of presence with everything that's happened. And now, okay, I'm here. So the unpacking and all that stuff and looking at it, I think can be done in different ways. I I recommend that all of my clients are in a therapy of some form and have someone else to speak to besides me because I don't know everything and I'm not trained in everything. I know what I know. (laughs) There are communities, there are fellowships. There's a lot of different ways to look at that. And then when we're, when we're in the present, there are different tools you can use to change the current way of being, which is really like, sounds so sexy self-care. Oh my God. It's so easy and fun. The truth of it is it's not. giving yourself love in a way that you didn't receive it as a child is really fucking hard. And maybe, you know what, maybe that's not even true. Maybe giving yourself the love that you didn't receive as a child in that way consistently, maybe that's not that it's hard to do, but it's hard to receive because the pieces in us that needed that to be okay, get really used to it. So what happens is like love and tenderness is like, ew, gross. Oh my God. Why is that mom like that? That's disgusting. (laughs) you know what I mean? Or it's like, I would never do it that way. It's like closed-minded. It's judgmental. It's working through that. Or on the other side, 
and on the other side, it's actually the same thing. It's a mirror is like the fucking grief that then comes up. That's unprocessed because you just had to survive as a kid and get through that and feel okay. And so you make things up in your head really to, to feel okay in those moments to survive and get through. And then those things become what is normal to you. So to pull them out and change them, that seems simple, but the grief that is underneath the tool, like that can be intense and it can also be really quick and pass easily, (laughs) which is like, what's so weird about all of this, but all, all that's to say is that like, there's a lot here. And I think that really what I'm talking about in that case is reparenting, which is to me kind of the art of meeting yourself where you are now and treating yourself the way you've always wanted to be treated. It's easy for us sometimes. It's easy for me to give other people the love and acceptance that I want, but doing it for myself is harder. And it's interesting because I don't consider myself, I've never really like, or I I don't know, in the last few years anyway, I've not considered myself someone who has like terrible self-talk or like isn't confident or doesn't, you know, like talks down to myself. I don't really do that. That was kind of like personal development 101 for me where like I got those things out of the way. But what I didn't realize is that the way that those things show up for me now are, are different (laughs) or they're the same, (laughs) but they just don't have the words. So they show up in different ways. So instead it's my like physical reaction to like, Oh, I want to hide. Or it's my, what I would call anxiety about going to a certain place or being with certain people and thinking it was about, "Mm, I don't know if I really fit in here and in here, right. It's about the environment that I was going into or the people I was with, instead of it being about me being comfortable. So kind of always putting things on the outside and procrastination is another piece of this where I didn't realize procrastination was like, I knew I could procrastinate, but I thought that was like the, (laughs) the real action of like, I say real, that's not the right terminology, but like the, if I were purposefully doing something to avoid what I was trying to do, that to me was procrastination. I didn't realize that when I sat down to focus on something and I instead like couldn't focus. And then I started to really stress about what I was doing, that that inability to focus was actually procrastination. That to me was just inability to focus. And so I got myself, you know, diagnosed with ADHD and started taking Adderall and like those things helped, but eventually you meet yourself again and sitting in that, in that really self-hate, which I thought was totally legit because I wasn't hating myself for being me. I was hating myself for not doing my work in a timely manner when I had time set aside, right. For not being able to focus. And what I know now is like, Oh no, those are all just symptoms of the same thing. Oh, it doesn't have to be like that. And I might not be able to change it right now. So I need to accept it as it is. (laughs) So I can start to be more gentle around all of it. Okay. So there's a lot here (laughs) on that note. I'm going to transition here and I want to talk to you about connection-based coaching a bit. I hope that sharing some of that just gives you, I don't know, some window into, I don't know, the lens of curiosity and perhaps what's there for you around that. And just starting to notice like that low self-esteem, low self-worth, like when we talk about anxiousness and avoidance and attachment styles and all of that jazz, 
those all have to do with parenting, usually our relationships in the world and the relationships with the first people we were in relationship with and how that has shifted over the years, how that changes into adulthood and how that really shifts even more when you're fully becoming your own adult. And if you are someone who is potentially raising children, how that then shows up in your face when you're staring at people <laughs> trying, realizing like, oh, I love you so much. I don't want you to feel the way I felt. What do I need to give to you? And what do I need to change within myself to be able to have the capacity to love you in the way that I wish I was loved, you know? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> one last thing before we hop into the connection-based coaching, here's what I want you to know, peace. I want to just tell you for a second, like this is what I have pulled from all of my work as a coach for the last 10 years. My background is in education. I went to college for international affairs and elementary education. I was like, how do we, how do we save the world? Right. How do we support the world? And to me, the answer was, well, obviously children are our future and there are so many children in poverty. Education is probably the answer. What do I need to know? And that's how I kind of chose that path. What I learned on that path is like, oh, this is interesting. Education is a part of it. But what I actually took away from all of that and then later kind of going into really getting interested in the foster care system and doing multiple foster parent trainings to learn more about how to support kids who are you know, going through traumatic situations and through a system that is not designed for success in any way, shape or form. What I really learned is that it's not so much about the education, it's about the connection or, you know what, the, the education is important, but that is like icing on the cake. The cake is connection and attachment and being able to have healthy relationships. And like everything I just went on about, right. In my life, which, you know, is incomparable in many ways, it's really hard when you're growing up in poverty to be a parent, right. Or when you're raising kids in poverty to have the capacity to love and be present and give acceptance and blah, 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 because your survival needs aren't being met. What happens in schools and the reason why in part education is important is that we've put many programs through school. So like food is provided through school, right? And when you have great teachers who care and do have the capacity to connect with their students, those students who aren't getting that at home do get it at school. And I think that those are actually the most important things about the education system which PS is being totally fucked up right now in the U S anyway, but those things are the most important things. And then the teaching how to do all of the things is on top of that to teach someone how to read. You have to be connected enough for them to feel safe to actually learn. And so it's those pre-qualifications that affect everything else anyway. So going into kind of all of the attachment stuff, all of the trauma informed stuff in the realm of foster care and child welfare. And then in the online coaching world and doing copywriting and understanding transformation and how we're helping each other doing multiple different healing facilitations, uh, training. So in breathwork and in body dance in Reiki and working with many professionals, like this is what I have gathered from all of that. So just so you know, and that's, and obviously like I've read books and done all the things and like 
I'm Erin Lindstrom. So take this with a grain of salt. I'm not a doctor or a lawyer and don't come for me. Thanks. <laughs> okay. So connection-based coaching, here's what I want you to know. There's a few different parts of this. Okay. We're going to go through nine different things right now. And I hope that something here is helpful. Okay. So if you are coaching people, I think that this or something like it needs to be at the basis of what you're doing. It is less about the strategies you're teaching or the outcome or whatever. If you don't have this piece in place, if this is not how you are coaching, you are not coaching. That's not coaching. That's fine. You can advise, you can consult, you can do whatever you want. But if you want to be coaching, then connection has to be at the forefront. The first thing, part one, okay, is let's just talk about connections. And I want to invite you to actually think about your connections in the world. Who do you feel the most connected with right now? And why? What does that relationship look like or feel like? And then like, as a kid, what did that look like? Who were those, the people you felt most connected to, or who did you want to be most connected to and what happened instead? And let's think about connection. Like what does it do and what does it not do? What is it and what isn't it? And I want you to define that for yourself. That's a curiosity kind of like move through that. Think about that. What does that even mean to you? Once you kind of have that situated and gone through what we're going to think about next part two is how we actually get things to change as coaches, people are coming to you to change something about themselves, about their lives, about their businesses, about whatever. And so it's important to think about how do people actually change? What needs to be true? Because there are multiple ways to do this part. One of, one of the ways is like something sudden happens and that forces a quick change, right? Boom. We're changing other times. And what most of us are doing is a more slow situation, right? Like a, a transformation process. So their thoughts are going to matter. How do we change our thoughts? Awareness, their beliefs are going to matter. How do we change them? Awareness is a big piece of it, right? Their feelings might have to change about certain things. What are we going to need there? Probably awareness, right? Like first we have to, first step is like being aware of any of this stuff and not everyone is. That's why the beginning of your work with your clients or whether it's in your marketing or in your like onboarding, you have to start to teach people to even pay attention to this part, right? Then there's their reality. How do we change people's reality? And really, if you want to change someone's reality, most of the time, what you actually want to change is their experience with it. How are they perceiving it? How are they feeling about it? How are they characterizing things in it? And that's a lot of mind stuff. When you are past the point of having your survival needs met, there are many people out there who are like, oh my God, live your best life. You can change everything. It's all just about how you're thinking. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. We need to consider and take into consideration the world that we live in, the very real barriers that people face, the challenges that are present for different people who might look different than you or think different than you or believe differently than you. All of those matter. And we are not here to just fucking gaslight those away and pretend they don't exist and that you can journal your fucking way into a new way of being. 
That's not for me. (laughs) If that's for you, you probably need a different podcast episode. Okay. But when we are thinking about these things, we need to look at all of this. We need to establish some sort of baseline that is, I can only help you if you're at this point, right? What needs to be true? You probably need to have security in place. You need to feel safe. And then we can start to look at this stuff, which by the way, fucking sucks. And so just moment of like, sidebar for a second, guys, what I just said, like, that is important. That is important just to know that so much of what's wrong, in my opinion, with our country in this world is that we think you can just change things, but like, that's not true. That's not necessarily true. Some circumstances it is true. But when I think about my brother, for example, who is in prison, He can't think his way into a new reality. He can't journal his way out of there. Could he transform the person he is to make different choices and experience a different reality and to change the story and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And also when he gets out, it's probably going to be hard for him to get a job because he's going to be a felon. (laughs) So like there's very real challenges that exist. There is room to both know and accept and be real about the way the world is and to create space for transformational work. But doing that requires, in my opinion, a high level of responsibility and acknowledgement and being willing to talk about this. So when we think about change theory and how things change, there's the micro version of like, what's in front of you and like what is possible to change when you have everything you need. And then there's the version of if you have to get your needs met and want to change, what does that look like? And what does it look like if you want to get your needs met consistently and that's the change you want to make? Then that requires like multiple things, multiple sides, multiple versions of this development. So it's like, complex. This is not the simplest thing ever. And I just want to be clear about that. Moving on to part three of this is human growth and development. We learn things at different developmental ages and there's different stages, different stages, obviously of development where we're learning different things about the world. We're learning about ourselves. We finally realize there are other people, object impermanence, all of these things we learn different things as we grow. And depending on what happened in your life during those different phases, things might've happened or depending on the parenting you received or the guidance you got or the support or whatever that looked like, the messaging that you experienced at that time, that can be taken in in a different way and may or may not need to be restored in your work of where you are now. And then there's something to be said for how did you receive those messages? Because you can receive the right message in the wrong way. Now, I'm saying right and wrong. And to me, in a harmful, disconnected way is what is wrong. And in a connected, loving way is what is right. That said, sometimes the wrong way is the best way available for someone. Sometimes it's the only way available. And the wrong way, if we look at like research around kids and trauma, the wrong way is actually better than no way. So pure disconnection and nothing is the most harmful. Discipline that borders on abuse is actually better than nothing. And then like 
loving support would be at the top. That is not always available. This is not about making people wrong. This is not about making choices incorrect or correct. This is about having an understanding of how development moves forward and what we need to know with that. Discipline, the word discipline comes from the word to teach. Discipline is about teaching and not punishing. You'll remember before, right? My background is in education. So thinking about that. So if discipline is to educate, right? To teach. And I think about the best teachers. The best teachers are loving and kind and can connect. Teachers who are mean, (laughs) dismissive, who really kind of like break the spirit of children by not supporting them in learning, by telling them or messaging to them that they're not smart enough or that they're not enough. That is abusive, right? Is that the same in parenting? I'm, I'm asking that with a dot, dot, dot for you to reflect on. From there, let's talk about growth and development for a second. From birth to about 18 months, this is the messaging time frame for you're perfect just the way you are. Babies, infants, children under 18 months, they don't have responsibilities. They don't have to be a certain way. We have learned through marketing, like what maybe a baby should be like and what the mothering relationship should be like or parenting in general. But ultimately like that baby owes you nothing (laughs) and love and acceptance is like the only messaging it should be receiving. Colic isn't bad. I mean, challenging. Absolutely. But part of the reason why a colicky baby is so challenging is because it's hard to keep your heart open. It can feel hard to keep your heart open and be loving and accepting when you're getting no sleep and you're constantly having to show up for something that is screaming at you and not really giving you anything in return. That said, love and acceptance, right? I want to say that like, these are very real challenges. Having a baby is very hard. And maybe for some people it's not. My experience raising or caring for both of my kids, one, Violet, I had, you know, I had her when I was living in Boston by myself. My ex-husband was in training. So he wasn't there when she was born. My mom and my best friend were, and that was great. And the next day my mom left and I went home to my apartment with my baby who needed to be breastfed around the clock because she wasn't latching. So literally every hour on the hour I was feeding and tired with a screaming infant who couldn't latch alone. It was hard. (laughs) You like, and that's okay. And there's postpartum depression. Like there's a lot of things that come up that make it challenging. So what you received matters and it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be all of the time. It doesn't. That's one of the beautiful things about all of this developmentally is that you don't have to receive everything 100% of the time. Okay. So that is the first phase in 18 months to two years. The messaging that you're receiving is it's okay to explore and you're learning. I like this and I don't like this, right? So discernment is starting. What does it mean to like things and not like things? If you don't like something, are you forced to try it anyway? How does that show up as an adult? Do you think? Right. And I say that not to like blame parents or to put this on them. Right. Cause they're being taught to how to 
how to teach, how to raise. We're all in a teacher training program that we don't even realize we're in just by being in life. And a lot of times like marketing changes things. We learn oh, a formula breastfed. This is best. That's best. You suck. If you do this, you're doing it right. If you do that. So the people facilitating this development, like are not necessarily in the most healing, expansive state of being, not to mention like you're going back to work and you have to figure out how to provide for your kid. Like there's a lot going on here. So the likes and dislikes, if your toddler doesn't like a shirt and you force them to put it on anyway, what are we teaching them about preferences? What are we teaching them about speaking up? We don't actually like when they speak up that much. We want them to behave. Well, what does that mean? And like, what are they actually telling us beyond the behavior? And what if we didn't choose the the fight. You know what I mean? What if we accepted them where they were developmentally while teaching them healthy boundaries, which I think we're trying to do, which like surprise it's, it's, it's hard guys. And the other part of that is that it's safe to explore. Think about like, you have the trope of the helicopter mom. I don't know why helicopter dad isn't a thing, but thinking about that, like were you taught like, it's okay to explore, to take a few steps? Or is it like, don't go anywhere without mommy. Are you in this? I'm putting my arms out that you probably can't see, but like, are you in a like playpen? Are you being encouraged to explore the world or wait? No, don't do that. And on the other side of that, some parents do like attachment parenting where you're being held all of the time because that's what the child wants too. And it's not to say that that is bad and that you're like holding back from exploring either. So there's all of these like mixed ways to do this correctly that look different. And that's important. Okay. But the messaging that a child gets during that time from 18 months to two years is like preferences are okay. I have preferences and it's okay to explore from three to five years. This is about them learning that they matter and that it's safe to share because there's enough, right? It can be (laughs) very challenging to teach a child to share because they're all about mine, 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 mine. It's not necessarily about teaching them to share. It is about instilling the idea that there is enough. If we focused on that instead of the behavior and the sharing and what we have to do to make other people like us, because that's a contortion that's learned, that could shift things. Okay. So (laughs) we're talking about this in terms of like, Oh, how could we parent differently now potentially? Right. And also just the reflection of like, what did we learn and where else did we learn that? Because between three and five years, that's not the only time we were taught about sharing. Right. Think about later in life and friendships and how we learn to navigate that and all of that jazz, like this all comes back six to 12. We need our parent or caregiver support to figure out how to work in groups and cooperate and allow others to have their space. This is where we need to learn that it's okay to make a mistake and be assured that making mistakes is how we learn and grow. So think about that between six and 12 years old, right? We're elementary school-ish age. Like, how was that for you socially? Thinking about the relationships and the connections, like what was that like? What were friendships like? What were you scared of? Those sort of things that sticks with you. From 12 to 18 years old, We're kind of getting into like identity, right? And so this is the part where it is a blend of you don't have to be responsible for this. I'm here to take care of that for you because they're independent. They're learning about the world. They're having more autonomy in the world and identity, figuring out who they are. And even though they might look like adults, they are not adults. 
So if you took on responsibilities as a kid that were really your parents' responsibilities or had decisions to make that shouldn't have been yours, meaning a responsible parent facilitates boundaries for their child versus expecting a child to know appropriate boundaries. That again, all matters as we move forward. So knowing that, having an idea of that, it is interesting when you hear people talk about their, what's happening now in the present, you don't necessarily have to go back to any of that, but you can hear the language. Is this a boundary thing? Is this a, is there enough thing? Is this about being loved and accepted for who you are and not needing to be anything different, even if you're annoying or crying? I can't tell you how many times I have clients on calls. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm like messy and crying. Like, you don't need to be sorry. You're perfect. Those moments are important. That's part of the connection-based coaching is that you are connected. You are not rejecting them or disconnecting because they're not the way they think they need to be because they don't need to be any certain way to be in one of my containers. It's not a thing. If you're respectful, right? Like, I, Obviously, we don't want to hurt each other or be disrespectful, but you having feelings is not a problem. And for many of us, we had to contort when growing up because we learned that it was that your feelings are too big. Go to your room. You're making me upset. You're stressing me out from a parent to a child. That's actually not okay. It's okay to have healthy boundaries, right? To say, Ooh, mommy's taking a deep breath and I need to take care of myself. I'm going to da, 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 but not blaming your reaction on the child. Cause your reaction is your responsibility. Most of our parents didn't do that. And that's okay. <laughs> like, that's not what was taught. That's not what was normal. And we can't go back, right? It's just, how do we want to be going forward? And how can I give that to myself now? Cause now still matters. Now is actually all we have. So if you still have those wounds from then you can give them to yourself now. That is the connection-based thing that happens. That is why good friendships matter because they're actually healing your old relationships. That's why having people you can trust matters. Even if you couldn't trust everyone before, it matters. So <laughs> I could talk about that forever. I'm going to move on for now, but like, call me if you want to talk about it. The next part four here is operating systems and the fact that like, we're all running on different ones the way that you are, the way that we make decisions, the way that maybe you procrastinate or cope or deal, like all of these things are programmed, which is why it's hard to change them because they're in us. And it can be interesting and revealing to kind of get curious about like, oh, huh, where did this come from? Why? Who was this developed by and how? If it, it can be developed by you in response to something, or it can be something given to you or modeled to you or facilitated. And that's why understanding the different ways that we learn, again, going back to discipline and teaching is important. Was this exemplified? And so I copied and pasted it. Did I learn that to be accepted meant to be like happy and easygoing? And therefore I learned that I'm going to go eat a bunch of snacks when I have feelings to kind of like numb out or like, I need something like that, you know, or was this like facilitated? Was it, oh, you're stressed out. Okay. We'll go do this. It can be, it can be an, a combination of those things. And you can have different caretakers and relationships that gave you different pieces. And so you just start to notice the connections of like, oh, maybe this came from here. And honestly, it doesn't always matter. That's not a thing that you have to do. This isn't about figuring out every little thing about you and where it came from. It's about accepting how it is being clear on how you want it to be 
And then in the process of making that change, showing up for whatever shit comes up through that transformation. That's the important part. If you leave yourself through the transformation, A, that's okay. You can come back. B, if you constantly leave, like what's that pattern is my question. Cause that's a inconsistency in love and connection. And so you just have to build that and that's okay. But even knowing that it's happening and accepting and loving that is important and powerful. And then you get to see like, wow, what's actually here? Like, why, why am I doing this thing? Even though I said I wanted that thing, why am I choosing this instead of doing that? And when you get curious about that, you can show up in different ways. When you learn strategies to be with yourself through the discomfort that you're likely trying to avoid by doing whatever it is that's taking you off track, that gives you a different ability to stay with yourself because you're willing to be in a different kind of discomfort. The discomfort, you know, like you might be uncomfortable already. You might, if you're like me, right? Like kind of hate yourself through that process. And that's a discomfort we know. So it's comfortable in a way. What's uncomfortable is knowing, oh God, I'm in that space. I'm doing the thing. I'm not doing my work. I'm procrastinating. Fuck. Oh, I'm having the thoughts of like, oh my God, maybe I shouldn't like, I'm not, I can't, what, what do I think I'm doing? Right. It's seeing that and being like, oh, I'm doing the thing. Okay. Okay. It's a hard day. It's not who I am. That's different. <laughs> and it's, I think vital to have community, to have friends who can understand that and hold you through that too, which takes time too. And for different people, that's different levels of doable when you get to be where you are in that. But that's kind of the power of community is that you have people who see you and can remind you and can love you when you can't love yourself. And that is intimate and uncomfortable when you did not receive that as the younger version of yourself or it can be, doesn't have to be. Again, speaking from experience. That said, you can absolutely move through it. Like all of this, this is all healing work, right? And it's really the healing of like being with yourself that requires other people and being with other people that requires being with yourself. So it's a lot of back and forth. All right, part five is supporting versus helping. This is one of the most interesting things to me. So curiosity moment of like, take some time and think about, things that have helped you the most, things are people that have helped you the most and things are people who have supported you the most. And that can be a Venn diagram, who's helped and what's helped, who's supported and what's supported. And then in the middle, what is helped and supported. And that will help you kind of pull apart what those things actually mean to you. To me, help means like to make something easier, right? Or to get it done. Support means to give assistance. The thing is here, and I know these can seem like very, very similar, but to me, help isn't always supportive, which is why I choose to focus on supporting people and not helping them, which seems like a very, maybe seems like a tiny difference, but to me, it's huge support. And this goes into number six, part six, which is meeting people where they are support wraps around someone where they are. It connects with them and then figures out the next step, whereas help is focused on getting to the next step, even if it creates more of a problem in the long run or even in the short term. If you think of like someone who comes over, one of your friends, they're like, oh my God, I want to help you with this. And they like try to clean something, but they like do it all wrong. And you're like, oh my God, like, I know you're trying to be helpful, but like, 
just get out of my space. Like I actually just need space or I need you to like lay next to me and be with me in my misery, not to like make me go out to the club. If it's, if it's that instead of cleaning, um, you know what I mean? But like helping is different and helping is usually more selfish and support to me. Support is more generous. Again, those are in my definitions. Doesn't have to mean exactly the same thing for you, but important for you to know what they are so that you can shift in and out of what you're doing and why. And so you can notice and be aware of what your client actually wants. Do they want help? Do they want to get out of what they're in and they just need help? Give me the strategy or do they want support? Do they want to actually transform what is happening to do things differently in the future as well? Do they need a combination of, oh my God, I really need sales and like, I need consistent income so I can get out of feast and famine and be in flow. Cool. That's, those are potentially different or the same thing, but like they're going to be different ways of doing it where strategy, healing, and mindset come in in different ways. So all things to consider. Next thing here, part seven really just goes more into like why connect. There's a phrase in the, a lot of the training that I've done for trauma-informed parenting, which is connect before you correct. And Typically what we're talking about when this comes up is a child whose behavior is out of line or whatever, and you want to correct it. The way to do it is not to say, Hey, stop doing that. The way to do it is to get down on their level and be like, Hey, what's going on? And then move forward from there. But you want to connect before you correct, before you tell someone what to do, you want to connect with them. And this isn't just for kids. This is, you know, if you're working with someone, if you've had a manager who's like, this is wrong, fix it. That's different than, hey, Jill, <laughs> how are you? Thanks for the report. There's a couple of things in here I'd like to talk about. This is what needs to be improved. This is wrong. Da, 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 da. Two very different conversations. Connect before correct works across the board. If you're calling a, I don't know, let's say you have a late bill, right? And you're calling, it is different to like get help. It's different for them to be like, you need to pay da, 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 da. Then when they're like, hi, can I have your name? Da, da, da. How's your day going? Thanks so much for calling. Okay. Let's see if we can get this figured out. And then they go into it. You're going to respond better. Your heart's open. You're actually like available for change, right? We're not shrinking and, and switching into something else. And that is really about the meeting people where they are. If you think about everyone in their own little bubble, <laughs> Instead of popping their bubble, you want to come put your bubble next to theirs. And then they gently form one bubble that you're in together. But just stepping into theirs or disrupting it, like that's, that's not cool. We want people, and this goes back to the discipline versus abuse thing, right? Discipline is teaching, right? It is, it, you need the person to be open to receive what you're about to give them so they can take it and make it theirs. And it's love-based. The abuse kind of version of that or abusive version of that it's hurting. The person closes, they clench instead of opening up and it's based in fear instead of love. Those are kind of the differences there. So a big part of what we're doing when we're right. Coaches, a lot of times are moving people forward, but before you move them forward, you have to meet them where they are. And that's really the, the basis of connection is like, meet them where they are. Stop trying to move people. All our whole world is set up to move people, to change people, to, to get the job, go to college, get the salary, get married, get a baby, get it. Stop. 
just meet people where they are and be with them. And that is one of the most healing things you can do. And that will actually help them more than you giving them any strategy. Because when someone feels accepted in the moment where they are and has the space to be themselves for a sec and actually be accepted, then we can move out of it or through it rather than having to change and push that away and deal with it later. So what we're really doing here, and this is part eight, is like you're restoring peace. You're helping, supporting someone in restoring their own peace. And the way that we do that is to help them feel seen, heard, and understood. Your job, here's the help. Rather than helping someone figure out the answer, what you want to help with, in my opinion, is to help them let their guard down and open their mind instead of spinning in it. Opening their mind is actually opening their heart. Like, cause that's coming back to the receiving thing, right? If you have a classroom of kids and you need to teach them, if they're all <laughs> like, you're not going to be able to reach them. You're not gonna be able to get the content across. What you have to do is get them into their bodies and calm down and ready to learn in a state of learning, of being a student, then we can move forward. So your job as, as the coach, as the person facilitating a container, just like a teacher is to first create like a learning environment, which is an environment of acceptance. Now, again, sometimes people are going through things when they show up on calls, they're stressed. They hired you to help with a problem. So what if that problem is really fucking stressful? (laughs) Well, (laughs) then restoring peace might take time. It might take a call. It might take a few minutes. It might take six months for them to finally like feel a different way to feel more peaceful for that stress to subside. And that's okay. This is not necessarily a rush thing. And it's not necessarily anything that you can really do to help with. You can't give someone peace. You cannot. What you can do is create an environment where there's the potential for peace. And sometimes that's just listening. Sometimes that's just being with them and accepting wherever they are. And sometimes that means accepting the mind that's spinning and just being like, wow, okay, there's a lot of things happening here. (sighs) I'm going to take a breath. Now I'm modeling, right? Facilitating. And then we can, how do you want to move from here? Would it be helpful to, you know, let's brain dump a list or do you want to do like a quick meditation to like get out of this and then we'll come back? Which way do you want to go? You're giving them power to choose, which is calming and you're helping restore peace. The peace of restoration is a big piece of this. And when we're working with adults, there's so much we can learn from like child development in this, because that's typically our inner child. That's freaking the fuck out. Because if our inner child had to lead the lives we have now, that would be really stressful, right? When our full adult embodied, you know, loving parent is in charge, that's a different conversation. We would make different choices. We would not catastrophize as much, but shifting from one to the other. Sometimes you have to model being that for that person. That is part of the connection. Okay. That's what the connection can provide space for. All right. (laughs) I just tapped on this as I was talking about peace restoration, but part nine is really moving into coaching and supporting. A big part of this is you giving your client the power. So rather than you leading them through everything, you are facilitating. I would say actually leading is facilitating, but that's guiding, right? It's leading facilitation. It's guiding. It's not 
being bossy or pushing them in a certain direction because you know, they have to do this, this, and this who fucking cares what, you know, (laughs) who cares? Like you can know, and you have to invite them into the process with you. That is the connection. If you keep them on the outside of it, where they're just following you versus being with you, that is a different thing. And while they might do the process, they're not really changing the inside, right? That's doing, not receiving. So in order to receive and really be involved in the process, which is really being in your coaching relationship, which is a healing container where you are providing an environment that has consent and space and acceptance, right? Through that facilitation, what you do then is ask them the questions, not just of like reflection and and getting them where they're going, but also like, okay, what would be most helpful here? Are you open to feedback? Would you like me to tell you what I think about this? Or I have a couple more questions too, if you want to continue to open this. You get to really like create a hybrid experience for the person where they're contributing to their success in a different way than of you just being the question holder. I think a lot of times we talk about coaching and we're like, oh, that's about asking questions and then revealing themselves. And that, that, that in a way, yes, but also in, in a way that I think is often misinterpreted as the right way is that if you're just creating space of I'm over here and you're over here, that's maybe helpful in some ways, but it's different than being in an actual connected situation. Connection-based coaching means that no matter where they are, if they are mad, if they're unable to go to the next part, like they're processing feelings as you go together. That's really the space that you're giving them. If you don't have feelings available in your container, if there's no space for that, if there's no room for someone to have a reaction and for you to hold space for it and accept them in that, that is harmful. It is harmful to create spaces for humans who are very much like emotion-based to have no emotion. And that's something that, again, we learn in those containers. There is room for appropriateness. There's room for boundaries. There's room for, here's how we move through stuff like this. There's room for, I don't accept this. And that is the work of like creating the boundaries and facilitating the container and all that jazz. So, so, (laughs) so while coaching is so easy, right? And anyone can help with anything and anyone can call them a coach, call themselves a coach rather, without the knowledge of the actual relationship dynamics and the self-relationship dynamics that are being affected by your work, I think it's irresponsible a lot of the times to do that or to call it that, right? It's okay to be a consultant. It's okay to be a strategist. It's okay to be a teacher. And if you're coaching and if you're in it to be connected and to really help people transform. I think that's the thing that it comes down to is if you're, if you're teaching how to do a thing, then you're a teacher. That's great. You can teachers use coaching. That's fine. But if you are a coach who uses teaching, if you are facilitating a transformation, transformation done healthily is done through connection. So you have to understand these things and how to actually facilitate in a responsible way so that your clients are not just getting the results, but going through a journey that is healing instead of harmful. And that's, that's really the point right there. Transformation 
right? Can be a healing journey, or you can transform in a way that harms your spirit, that makes you think you are a certain way and causes contortions. And many coaching programs do that. They take away your power and they take away your choice and tell you what to do and that you can't have feelings here, just do the work and hustle. And that to me is not, that's not it. When we're dealing with humans, if you were all robots, cool, that would be a great robot program. But because we're humans with full lives and full feelings and that how we do one thing affects other things in our lives and world, like that's important. And we need to know that. And that needs to be at the center of our work. And I think that as an industry, we have more work to do here. So with that, <laughs> that is what I wanted to share today. I hope that helps in some way, shape or form, or at least, at least gives you something to think about, consider, have a conversation about, etc. This comes up in all of your relationships where we are supporting other people. So your friends, your partner, your team, like all of this matters. It matters. If you want to learn more about this or go in depth or anything like that. I have a program called dynamic coach training, which covers all of this plus more. It's really for people who are in business, who either have a coaching business and want to connect more, create more connected environments. A lot of people have group programs and are like, no one's participating in the group. You know why? Because <laughs> this needs to be facilitated on a group level. And that is possible, but you have to know how, and you actually have to like curate that in yourself, the capacity to hold space. So I can help with that. Dynamic coach training might be a fit for you if you're into any of that. Alternatively, if you're someone who is a strategist or a done for you service provider who knows they're coaching their clients, a lot of people, you can be doing some of this really well too, without even realizing it. If you're doing that and you want to add more strategy and you want to learn how to like even hold your clients better just through the done for you process, dynamic co coach training could also be a fit. Basically, if you want any information about that, just let me know. Or if you go to humanbeingco.com, you'll see the link for DCT, check it out. Our next cohort is starting in September. And before that we do an intensive and it really like when you do this work, all of your marketing and sales transform hundred percent. Why your sales, when you were doing a sales call or even going back and forth in DMs, doing voice messages, you were creating a container for transformation. Knowing how to do all of this makes that better, easier, more flowy, easier to hold boundaries, but also gives you the ability to go deeper. When it comes to your marketing, understanding how you're actually helping people in this way through the lens of mindset, healing, and strategy, even if you think I'm not doing healing work, yes, you are. If you're a service provider and you're doing good work and delivering on time and giving people their money's worth, that is healing work. I know that sounds ridiculous, but in a world where most people under deliver, getting what you paid for and having a really great experience with the person you've hired is healing. So knowing that understanding how all of these different things come into play, like where the mindset stuff really is for your clients and for yourself, all of your marketing is going to be better. <laughs> and we do like one-on-one -on -one calls where we go into that for you specifically. So all of that is available if you want support. Moving on from there, there's one other thing I want to tell you. I am currently working on a coaching program. It's being developed and beta tested this fall that is going to be a leadership academy for kids in foster care in my area, which is the Tidewater region of Virginia, between 14 and 21. They go through a training called life skills that is mandatory by the state. And it's basically like how to be 
how to be an adult. And this training is there because many of them in the teenage years will not be adopted and they will end up aging out of foster care, which means they will move into the next period of their life without a real or without a legal, I guess I should say, family. And what that means is there's a lot of challenges in that. And the foster care system is not good, in my opinion, at minimizing harm. So moving from home to home, that feeling of not being adopted, not being chosen, those are deep. And and there's so much these kids are capable of. However, taking those steps and creating right a life of um, you know, the consistency and healthy movement forward is very tricky. And the outcomes, if you look at the stats, are not great for youth who have been in the foster care system. That said, we're developing a coaching program for them that really is a leadership academy that teaches how to negotiate, how to be heard, how to get what you want, because in these family structures, right? Like we talked about before with the developmental stuff, if you did not receive, if you haven't experienced a really healthy, supportive relationship, how do you think it, that plays out when you go to get a job and have a boss? How does your coworker relationships work out? How does your relationship with yourself work out? Do you learn to overachieve to be accepted? Do you end up back in the system and getting in trouble because you don't have the tools it takes to kind of build out. So this coaching program is designed to work with these kids in a connection-based way that may have been lacking either in any of the familial relationships, including foster families that just weren't able to connect where that attachment wound wasn't healed, where perhaps there was like emotional harm done to create an experience for them where it is that acceptance connection-based everything that I was just talking about and to help them figure out, okay, who are you? What do you want? How can we support you in a way that doesn't make you do anything? There's no homework. You know what I mean? It's more just showing up and being you and like, let's figure this out together. You can be where you are. We will meet you there. This isn't about changing you. This is about supporting, right? Versus the help of like a scholarship or a one-time thing. This is more holistic. I am doing this in collaboration with a nonprofit that I've been working with and supporting for years called Tidewater Friends of Foster Care. And because this is the beta round, we are going to be taking or receiving rather a lot of just information to kind of grow this and make it better as we go. If you are interested in helping fund that program, I can point you in the direction to make a donation. I believe that coaching, like that's part of the thing about this industry, right? And high ticket coaching and I sell high ticket accessibility is something we're always talking about. And how do we provide coaching for people like who could really benefit from it, who don't necessarily have access. This is one of those situations. And this is an opportunity for you to potentially help. So if you're interested in that, I will put the link in the show notes And you're welcome to message me, ask me questions at this time. We don't need additional coaches. However, if you're interested in the future of having a client or two who is a youth in care, you're willing to do additional training to really learn about how to support them particularly, or if you'd like to do some sort of model where you sell a, you know, one of your coaching programs and a percentage of your proceeds go to something like this would love to talk about how to make that happen because 
I believe, and I know that many of you believe too, that like, this is the most important work. Cool that I want to go from charging five to $10,000, no shade. Right. But also like the real work here is, or maybe additionally, the real work is like, how do we actually make a difference in this world? And I think that this could actually be part of that in addition to poverty eradication, which is a whole nother conversation, which we'll get to in my next podcast. (laughs) But yeah, if you want to be involved in any of this, shoot me a message. Let me know. Happy to talk about it. I hope this was helpful. Thank you for being here. And thank you for you. Hey, it's Erin. And I want you to know that you matter. Everything you're doing and everything you've done, it all matters. It all counts because you are important to the people around you, your family and friends, your audience, your clients, and quite honestly, to the world. Whether you're changing lives on the front line or changing lives while you're changing diapers, your presence matters. Every life you touch counts. And from just one interaction, there can be infinite, meaningful effects. And for that reason, I want to thank you for showing up and doing the work to be with yourself and share your light and your gifts and your love with those around you. If you want support with any of this human being stuff, you're always welcome to join me inside of my coaching membership, Human Being Club at humanbeingclub.com or follow along with me on Instagram for more behind the scenes, silly stuff at Erin Lindstrom. Once again, thank you for being here and thank you for you.